Amen. Happy Father's Day um, to you all. And uh, we'll uh, look into uh, another, uh, our second uh, sermon as we're walking through the book of Samuel. And we'll see how indeed our good, good father um, leads his people always, always to, to what is good and right um, and uh, what is, is beautiful. Even though that uh, may mean that we, in the moment, feel like we're losing. Uh, we, we feel like uh, that we maybe have lost, that we may even be facing a, a, um, a dark day and circumstances and events that um, crash in around us. Um, even in those times, we'll see a good, good father is leading us to what is right and what is good. And informing us that even in our losses, even in losing, we can still, in his power, have influence on our world for what is good. Um, because, in the end, no matter how many times we may feel we're losing, and we'll see this passage, uh, that everybody loses, but God always wins. And as we are with him, then it's his victory that we celebrate and live into. Now, you may be thinking, that doesn't make any sense. How do you lose and still have influence? How do you, I mean, it's the winners. It's the victor. You know, they're the ones that get the the medals. Well, one example, the Jamaican bobsled team, (laughs) right? I don't know that they've won anything outside of Jamaica ever, but they're the only bobsled team I know that has a movie made after them. Because in Jamaica, there's just not a whole lot of opportunity to practice um, uh, in terms of bobsled. But they're, they're a humorous example of one who, in losing, still wins and has influence. In this uh, sermon, as we're walking with Samuel and Saul and David, we see the different ways that God makes us influencers, even in loss. Because God always wins. Um, the passage is in 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Uh, it's on page 228 in your pew Bible. You can turn there or follow along on the screen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you again for your written word that speaks to us of your truth, of your victory, even in the midst um, of loss. Um, and uh, your your plan that you continue to, to carry forth and the part that we get to play in it. Um, so open our eyes and our hearts to hear and receive from you. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, First uh, Samuel chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. 
So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they've been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we, we, we see clearly Israel is defeated over and over again. God's people don't always win. And it's a good time when you lose, when you're in that sense of loss, to the, ask the question that the Israelites asked. So they made a good first step. Lord, you, you, you've, the Lord has defeated us. Why? What, what's going on here? That's always a really good question when things don't go our way. Because there's a variety of reasons that may be the case. Now, in this case, it was because of their unrighteousness. And we'll we'll get to that um, in a minute. But there are lots of reasons the Bible gives. There are sometimes that it's because of the work of the devil himself. Just ask Job. Sometimes it's because of the, the sin of others or just the ways of the world uh, that, that lead to what is wrong and unjust and, and evil. There's all kinds of reasons that this can happen. And we never... I tell this to my kids all the time. Never waste a good failure. Never waste a good failure. Um, uh, uh, I forget now. Oh, d- d- let uh, Rob uh, Bechtel, who runs marathons and Ironmans and stuff, one of the phrases there is, you know, let defeat fuel you in the race. I mean, I've got to tell you, you want to be here, the the Sundays that you want to be here, at least in terms of hearing me preach, are the Sundays after I believe I delivered a poor sermon. Because once that happens and I leave here, I'm like, oh, that was terrible. I was out of tune. I don't know what was going on. I was ill prepared, all the rest. That week, I'm going to do everything I can to make that the next Sunday much better than the last one. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the, every failure is an opportunity to maybe learn a new skill. You know, if you're a baseball team and you got a runner on third base with no outs and you can't get him home, that week you need to work on bunting. 
Yeah, you need to work on that's a new skill or maybe you realize a new strategy that you need or something about yourself. You know, in each case, never waste a good failure, because what we know and ultimately, as we've been singing and as the, the scripture says throughout, is that God is always present, whether we feel him or not. In victory or defeat, God is the one who is sovereign and in control. And he's the one. Ultimately, his purpose is to make you and me and us together more like Christ. He wants us to be more and more a representative of his kingdom in the world. He's that that's Romans eight twenty eight. Remember that passage? All things work to good for those that are called according to his purpose. Well, what's good mean? Well, Paul defines that. It means that we become more like Christ and we become the church that God has chosen us to be, to be on mission with him in the world. So that's what he's doing. And sometimes he uses losses and defeats to do that. So it's always a good question to ask. All right, God, you you are present with us in the midst of this. What is going on? The problem with the Israelites here is they didn't listen. They asked the question and then said, ah, we know. Let's bring the ark. Let's bring it before us. See now, and what, what's, what's happening in this, uh, if you were with us last Sunday, if you read through first, uh, the first couple chapters of Samuel, you can go back and read chapter three, but Hophni and Phineas, as I said, they were filled with unrighteousness, ungodliness in a variety of ways. They were doing things that were better for them instead of what God would want them to do. And they were practicing, they were actually copying some of the pagan practices of the temple around them. And they started instituting that in the temple. And and Eli, their their dad, Eli was the head, um, their father, and Phineas and Hophni were the sons who were um, uh, running the temple. And Eli, in his inactivity, he corrected them but didn't stop them. And they continued, and then the people followed. So it was a time where the the people of Israel were seeing their relationship with God more about the externals than the internals. It It was more about doing the right religious thing. Let's bring the ark in. Let's get the right furniture in here. It was really more superstition. The, I mean, the ark, now, the ark of God is a very prominent piece of furniture. It is that which represents, symbolizes God's presence in their midst. That God had told Moses how to build it and craftsmen made this ornate, beautiful chest that then carried, among, among other things, the very tablets of the Ten Commandments. Um, this will help you. If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, or played the video game or the Legos game, Raiders of Law. One of those ways that probably most of you have seen, then the Ark, this is the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, and, and they though had equated God's presence with the Ark instead of seeing it as the symbol of God's presence. And so when the Ark comes, then they let out this big cry. You know, that resounds through. And the Philistines even hear it and are scared. The Philistines in this moment, they're responding appropriately to the very presence of God. Israelites, they're responding inappropriately. They are think they're manipulating God for their blessing. They think they're influencing God by bringing him into their presence through the ark. Instead of being influenced by God. 
They're using God for what they want instead of submitting God, submitting to God in order to do what God leads us to do. In a way, this is a really good time for Israel to lose, to, to wake up, to, to see the realities of how the religious practices are now ruling them instead of being a way of life. That they are fulfilling surface obligations instead of growing into humility and obedience and love before God. God is never contained in any human endeavor. He's not contained in the most perfect and beautiful human explanation of theology. He's not contained in that. He's not contained. God is not contained in the greatest act of service. He's not contained in the most beautiful expression of music. He's not contained in the, the loudest shout of praise to him or the most wonderful, glorious dance unto him. He is not contained by any human endeavor or all human endeavors put together. As the, the God is the only one who is truly, ultimately free. In and of himself. As you've heard it said, God is God all by himself. Scriptures, the writer of Hebrews says that God is like a consuming fire. He is the powerful creator of all of the universe. The very one who created everything that is from nothing and from his very breath has caused life to be. He is the one who every day sustains the growth of every element of life, even every blade of grass. That is the almighty, powerful God. We cannot contain nor manipulate him in any way. We can't in, in any way attain his love or beauty by having the right stuff in the right place, by saying the right words, or by shouting the loudest or having working up some emotional response unto him. None of that is manipulating God. What God desires, he made clear through Jesus, is simply a heart, mind, soul, and strength to love him and to love our neighbors as ourself. Uh, all good and right religion means we come before God in, in humble worship and obedience and love and honor. Not in order to, to manipulate God or in some way get God's blessing, but out of response for the blessing He has already brought us. Out of response to Him and His glorious gift. That's why we sing. We don't sing and somehow in order to wake up God. We come and sing because God has woken us up. We, we come to, to dance here, not in order somehow to impress God, or if we work up enough energy, God will show up. We come, and the energy comes because we know God is here, and God has won. And at the cross and in the empty tomb, He has defeated sin and death, and we are indeed free in Him. That, that's it's out of response then that we say hallelujah and amen. But not... To manipulate him. Or somehow get him to bless us the way we want him to bless us. But to, so that we will be a part. Uh, and that he has chosen us 
to be a part of his team, his plan of the work of his kingdom. So uh, we, we learn from Israel, you know, what, what not to do, to be corrected in those ways that we have, uh, that we use those things that are good things, but try to use them to manipulate God. And what we see uh, with Israel is it just gets worse. All right, so they, they bring the ark in, and then they go and battle, and it goes downhill in a hurry. And what we're told is they lose 30,000, that the, the uh, um, Phineas and uh, Hophni, they die, they're killed in battle, and the Philistines even are able to capture the ark and take it with them. The very thing that God called Moses to build that, that now holds the very precious elements of their faith that symbolizes the very presence of God now dwells in Philistine. I mean, this is the darkest day in the history of Israel to this point. What has happened here? And it even gets worse if you you read the rest of the, the, the chapter. Then Eli hears about all that has happened and he dies. And then, chapter 5, as it goes into um, uh, the, the Philistines, as the ark goes into, into the Philistines, you find out they can't control God either. If you read chapter 5, the, what ends up happening is the ark goes from place to place like a hot potato. So the first uh, uh, Philistinian city that takes it, they, they put them in the, the temple of, they put the ark in the temple of Dagon. And, and Dagon is a huge, big, you know, altar and big idol there that is their center of worship. And they wake up the next morning and Dagon is playing Humpty Dumpty. He has fallen over and he's broken into all these different pieces. God has won. Yahweh, the God of Israel, has won. He has defeated Dagon. So they're like, oh, wait a minute, this is not good. So they take it on to another city. And then they, then different things happen there. One city, uh, tumors start to break out among the people. And they're caught in a plague. God defeats them. And they uh, okay, you guys, you guys take it. And then uh, mice take over where the, the ark of God goes. And they're like, all right, we're done with this thing. Send it back to Israel. Israel. And there, then it goes to Beth Shemesh. And, and in Beth Shemesh, even things happen there. The people of Israel still haven't learned. And they're tinkering with the ark. And they look on and as we'll see in a minute, people die because they're mistreating the ark of God. Demonstrating along the way that God is the only one who is in control. That God is the one who is too, totally free. And the one who is the sovereign one along the way. First Samuel six nineteen through twenty one ends this this section that really presents the ark before us, and he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck seventy men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, "Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God?" That's the point of the whole passage. That's the point right there. Who can stand before God? No one. God is the one who is the sovereign, free, creator, sustainer, redeemer of the universe. And to whom shall he go up away from us? So then they sent the ark on to. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. You come down. Take it up to you. 
And there, as you read in the rest of seven, that's where it rests for 20 years. The Israelites lose. The Philistine lose. God wins. God is the one who is victorious. We want to be influencers in our world. Then we know the only one who is truly worthy of influencing the world is God alone. And as God influences us, then we can be influencers in the world. I mean, this, I believe this passage hearkens, it hearkens back to the days of Exodus and Moses, rele- Moses leading the people out of slavery. But it also hearkens forward to what is the greatest loss and the greatest victory in the history of the universe. Because it points us to the cross. Because the cross is the defeat of all defeats. It, it, it is the, the, the darkest of all dark days. Where God in the flesh who lived among his people. Then there was, um, uh, uh, he was found guilty and hung on a cross. Opposed by the very people who were supposed to be the ones to follow him, um, the ones who said the religious leaders of the day. And he had been deserted by his closest friends who he'd been hanging out with for three years. And from that vantage point, it seems as the worst of worst, the defeat of all defeats. But it's there Jesus shows the way. He knows that God always wins. So he trusts and obeys and entrusts himself into the Father's hands. And in the end, it is the victory of all victories. The defeat of sin and evil, the defeat of our guilt, and the union of all of God's people with God himself, that judgment is defeated and satisfied. It is the victory of all victories, the greatest influence upon all the universe and makes the way for God to choose and call us to be in his presence, to to answer the, the question of the folks at Beth Shemesh, who is able to stand before the Lord, the holy God, only one who is in Jesus. And that's the ultimate victory. That we now are chosen and get to be a part of influencing the world as outpost expressions of his kingdom in our world. Maybe you find yourself in a real season of defeat. In a real season where there's no hope. You don't know what the next, what the next step is. And it may be because you're like Hophni and Phineas, And it's because of your own doing. And you're part of the Israelites that have just followed along with that. And you followed along the ways of the world. You've followed along with your own desires. And that's why there's darkness. Well, let me tell you, there is good news. The defeat of sin and death is yours in Jesus Christ. You don't have to fight this battle on your own. Matter of fact, you can't fight this battle on your own. He has already fought it. He is already victorious. 
And you can put your trust in Him. Join with us, the rest of this motley crew, sinners saved by grace, following after Him, not only just to save us from sin, but so that we will be an influence on the rest of the world. God has greater plans than just saving you from your sin so that you don't have judgment. He's got plans to make you into His person and to be a part of His people. Or you might look globally or locally at the larger church. You know, this week was not a good week for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States. The Southern Baptist Convention and the Roman Catholic Church were meeting. Those are the two largest religious denominations in the country. Both of them dealing directly with sexual abuse, either with children or with women. And both were coming forward prayerfully. Uh, we, we pray, listening to God, making the changes in repentance and confession and, and transformation. And maybe that's a good um, a recognition for us as well as a church. It's, all right, God, let's let's. We need to know where are we unaware of our own sin individually and, and corporately that that leads to our losses. We want to join with them, knowing you are the one who is victorious. Knowing the one you will lead us, even out of the, our own darkness, whether it's in, the, our, our, in our own heart, in the things we've done or haven't done, or the ways of the world. You are victorious. Even though things like this give plenty of fodder to the enemies of the church, give plenty of fo- fodder to the enemies of Jesus, we can only say... We confess our sin as well, but we believe God is leading us all in the ways of justice and righteousness and truth and beauty and grace and love. Uh, remember, um, and always been impressed with William Wilberforce. You know, he was, uh, in the 1800s, he was a British parliamentarian, served in the British uh, parliament for 40 years. And one of his highest goals, he was a follower of Jesus. Great, great movie, Amazing Grace, sort of tells his story. Um, if uh, have opportunity to um, uh, watch uh, that. But he, um, for 40 years, he made it. Um, his job, his responsibility to submit a bill to end slavery in Great Britain. For 40 years he did that. And he failed for 39 but he continued year after year using different strategies, learning along the way, crying out to God, what are you doing? Why do we continue to face def- defeat over and over and over again? But for 40 years and on the 40th year that he made his proposal, it was accepted. And he ended slavery as an official practice in Great Britain. He knew, even in the face of loss, that God was the one who always wins. And in his case, he was blessed with being able to see it in real space, in real time. As church, as people, individually, wherever there is loss and failure and darkness, Trust and know that God is victorious. He has won the victory in Jesus. And he will continue to win that victory. And one day, Jesus will return and make his victory complete.